Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the concept of power and authority. But before we jump into that content, I want to remind you of the resources that are available to you at chrismoles.org. Not only can you access the podcast there and some past blog posts and updates on some of the things we're doing around PeaceWorks, uh, you can also find out information about PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and if you are benefiting from what you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can find out more about PeaceWorks University and all of the resources that we have available at PeaceWorks at chrismoles.org. All right, so uh, today I want to talk a little bit about power and the 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 onus for this, the reasoning for this conversation is uh, some other conversations that I've been having. And there seems to be some debate, I, I almost said confusion, but I don't know if we're confused so much as we're coming at the issue from different perspectives. And it's over the concept of power and authority. And so within the Christian church, those of you, especially those of you who are perhaps conservative evangelicals, maybe uh, even from a more of a fundamental background, perhaps you grew up or have been exposed to concepts of authority that have a, a high place in some of our theological concepts. And, and what I'm getting at is that for some of us in the conservative Christian church, the concept of authority ha- has been discussed um, prominently and has been uh, kind of a an understood issue that God establishes aspects of authority. Now, we might call that, if we're having a theological discussion, we might call that constituted authority or delegated authority. So for those of you uh, who kind of are familiar with that term, this will be old old news. But for, for many of you maybe who are wrestling with the debate that I'm, I'm fixing to share here, getting ready to share, um, that would be a conversation about how God has given some folks authority or has established some aspects of authority, whether it be in government, within the church, or within the family. And that particular conversation has taken on a little bit of a, a new edge or perhaps uh, is being discussed more fully in conjunction with our conversation regarding domestic abuse. And so I'll just kind of lay it out. There is a concept uh, within some of the secular models and approaches to domestic abuse. And if you've been listening to the series of podcasts that I just completed, or maybe I'm wrapping it up in this podcast, you're, you're probably a little bit aware of what I'm talking about. Much of our secular models that are available to us, while having what I would consider very helpful um, observational material do require a discerning eye and a discerning spirit uh, because they were created uh, in conjunction with 
a worldview or a belief system that may be inconsistent uh, with our worldview as Christians. This is not abnormal. This is not necessarily uh, a new concept. Uh, much of what we see is in the aspect of common grace, uh, where individuals who are outside the faith maybe have a different worldview or belief system than us observe some of the same problems that we observe and applying uh, a secular worldview versus a biblical worldview will come up with a different solution or um, causation. And this is not uncommon. And in all of those respects require a bit of discerning vision and certainly uh, dependence on the Holy Spirit and the sufficiency of Scripture if we're believers. And so with that being said, if you've been listening to the previous podcast, you probably are aware that much of the secular approaches that are used today uh, do have as a foundational element aspects of critical theory. Uh, in particular, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, Paula Freira and the concept of the, the pedagogy of the oppressed and the educational um, model from, uh, from Brazil. And I really don't want to go too in-depth into all that, but I do want to say that what happens in the concepts of power for many of our secular friends is that we see a problem with authority, rightfully so. I think all of us can say that when someone has power or position or authority, it is tempting for them to abuse that authority. And we would even say in the case of abuse, sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse, domestic abuse, child abuse, elder abuse, the abuse of the disabled, we're talking about individuals who have some aspect of power, an able-bodied person abusing a disabled person, and um, a young person abusing an elderly dependent person, a parent abusing a child, a husband abusing a wife. We are using many of those power and authority concepts, and we would say rightfully so, because it, it requires some aspect of advantage or power to practice abuse. It doesn't mean that you can't be sinful if you're marginalized, or you can't be sinful if you're vulnerable, or you can't be sinful if you're a victim. We're simply delineating that the idea that authority, power, position gives advantages that can make abuse quite the temptation, and low-hanging fruit when it comes for ways to harm others. Now, our secular counterparts, on the other hand, may say that, yes, that's true. We're observing the same thing, that people in power uh, can use that power to abuse. And some would say the answer then is to get rid of all authority, to decentralize all power, to eliminate all authority. And there's a couple problems with that. Number one uh, is what do you do with the vacuum with a lack of authority? Um, maybe three problems. Number two is you're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater because you're saying it's the power itself or the authority itself that's abusive rather than the abuse of power. Um, you know, and then lastly, I have yet to see it in practice in individuals that I do know who would call for the complete decentralization of power and the eliminating of authority, they usually have someone or something in mind that they want to replace that authority with. And so there is kind of a, for lack of a better word, a hypocritical aspect to it. Uh, because again, that vacuum tends to be filled. 
So I come back to us as conservative evangelicals. We have a high view of authority. We believe that God constitutes or delegates authority. And so what are we to do with a culture, a worldview that calls for the elimination of authority, but the reality that people in authority may be tempted and choose to participate in wickedness such as abuse? And I think maybe the first place for us to go is just to simply have that discussion of what is constituted authority or what is delegated authority. I haven't really had this conversation since my ordination days. Uh, To be honest with you, this was something that came up in my ordination exams. I am, I don't know if proud is the right word, but I am pleased. I have been a a part of a lot of ordination councils over the years. And I will say, uh, tip of the hat uh, to my friends at the Central District of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, my ordination process was very intense. It was a two-year process. I was given a provisional license. Uh, two years, I had to read books, write papers. At the end of the two years, if I was, because I was approved to move forward, I did a written exam that took me approximately eight hours to complete, uh, and that ended up prepping me for the oral exam, which was another a few hours of conversations before I was ordained. And I know that's like, okay, Chris, why are you bringing all that up? I bring it up, one, because I am pleased that I was part of an organization that took ordination seriously enough to really try to vet me well. And then, two, I remember distinctly having these discussions about constituted and delegated authority because one of the things that my licensing and ordination council wanted me to know as a pastor, was that one, I had aspects of authority and I was limited in those aspects of authority. And for me, that was a huge win. And I think that's something that we could use more so in the evangelical church, especially among us conservatives who really have a high value of authority, is to be reminded that our authority, what little bit we have, is delegated to us by God or constituted by us through God's design, and that authority is limited. And it is always subject to accountability. And I think that's one thing that I would love for us to converse about more, is that, yes, our our secular friends are probably um, a little too extreme to say that power must be eliminated, that authority must be eliminated. We will always have aspects of hierarchy within our culture, and even our friends who want to eliminate it tend to reestablish it in different ways. And so it is much more effective, I think, from a biblical worldview to say power and authority will always be present, but they must be subject to accountability because their authority is not their own. It is given by God and therefore, they must be held accountable to God's standard. A couple places, if you want to just read a little bit more, maybe biblically on where we get these ideas, of course, Romans 13 is a big one. Uh, I would also encourage you to read Romans 12. I think I think those are go together like peanut butter and jelly. Um, but I, I do think that Romans 13 will give you an idea of constituted or delegated authority when it comes to the government, that the government... Um, has the right to wield the sword, right? They are an agent of God's wrath. And now we can disagree um, to what extent that is. 
uh, I personally, and I just want you to know this in the upfront because I really try to balance this. Um, but I want you to know up front that I would say that Romans 12 is primarily about how believers live in a Romans 13 world, that as much as it depends upon us, we're called to live at peace with everyone. We are to overcome evil with good. Like we are the peace people. And the government, Romans 13, is a different entity from us. It is a different animal. Uh, And as such, where we can't wield the sword, where we don't institute wrath, the government does, um, sometimes imperfectly, always imperfectly, uh, but sometimes even unrighteously. But that is still the role that has been constituted or delegated to them uh, to wield the sword, to be an agent of God's wrath. Hebrews 13, on the other hand, would talk a little bit more about the church and constituted authority or delegated authority in the realm of the church. That'd be Hebrews 13, probably starting... Uh, right around the middle, 15 to 25, somewhere in there, that 10 to 12 verses. Um, And the idea there is that we as church leaders um, have been given aspects of authority, but our purpose is not to engage in God's wrath or to wield the sword. It is to bless God's people and protect them. And I think you see that illustrated again and again through uh, 1 Peter 5, Um, and through other aspects of gospel-centered ministry where ministers are there to serve the church, to protect, and to bless. And so where some of our friends, secular friends, would say all power, all authority is abusive or oppressive, the end result then is we must be in a perpetual state of revolt or decentralization, Right, continuing to overthrow whoever's in authority. The irony there is that it is perpetual. Right, once another person or group gets an authority, then we're revolting against that group, and it, it's a cycle that I personally don't want to be a part of. But a biblical view of authority would say that authority is constituted or delegated by God to agencies, institutions, and people, and that that power can be abused. I think we all have to acknowledge that that power can be abused. And when that power or authority is abused, we must be free. We must be free as believers to hold the powerful accountable. This is one of the areas where I really believe um, it, it's kind of ironic to me, but but I'll try to unpack it because the last few episodes we've been talking about secular models versus um, kind of a biblical model. And again, I think this is a, a biblical position that biblical authority is uh, delegated or constituted by God. Therefore, it must reflect his purposes, right? Especially within the church and within the home. The government's a little different animal, but power can be abused. And when power is abused, we must be free to hold the powerful accountable when possible. So one of the things that I would continue with my thought here is if some of our secular models were designed to decentralize power, actually what makes them effective is that they speak truth to power. Here's what I mean by that. If you take a standard 
batter intervention group. I think one of the things that makes it most effective is that, yes, the group-facilitated discussion gives everyone in the group a voice, but everyone in the group is also free to speak out or speak against or reflect back the violence and abuse that's being perpetrated by others in the group, meaning it's effective because we get to speak truth to power. We get to hold each other accountable for the ways in which we've harmed our partner. And so to me, that's one of those key issues. Now, granted, uh, and I want to make this clear to anybody um, who's listening in. Now, granted, you can, as the old adage goes, vote with your feet. There are aspects of um, authority within the church that you should be able to say, I'm not willing to sit under your authority and that you can leave. And if that's the case, then you're probably not um, at that point being abused or oppressed. Now, I understand there's a lot of complexities to that, but I just want to make it clear that if you're in a church setting and your pastor's a bully and you've confronted it and the pastor continues to deny or resist or reject, you can leave. And if you feel that you have the freedom to leave, that they're not going to harm you or threaten you, then you're free to do so. And that probably would uh, eliminate some of the concepts here. Because we're really talking about not just the power being used that offends us or makes us uncomfortable. We're talking about power authority that's being used that creates threat or fear. Power authority that's being used that harms us. Power and authority that's being abused. And that particularly falls into our discussion in the area of domestic abuse. So I bring all of this home to say this. I think some of our friends in the Christian world are struggling with concepts of power and authority because, A, we really want to honor God's constituted authority, and, B, we perhaps don't want to hold people accountable. And so if you're a husband and, you're, and you claim to be a believer and you're listening today and yet your wife and your children live in fear, they live under the threat of your behavior and your choices and even your worldview. Um, I want you to hear me say that that type of authority, a type of power over, is inconsistent with what has been delegated to you, what you've been asked to steward. And I would say that if that is the case, you're more than likely not being found faithful, as it were that you should be held accountable. You should repent. Um, If you're an individual today and you're living under the weight of an oppressive husband, somebody who um, will not bend, will not bow, will not turn, will not repent, but continues to make demands that you can't meet, to coerce you, to threaten you, to harm you, sexually or physically assault you, to ridicule you, and you're compelled to simply submit or simply obey because God has given them some aspect of authority. I want you to hear me say that that's not biblical authority and that when authority is abused, we should be free to hold the powerful accountable. So I I hope that helps. I do know that there is um, a lot of confusion about this topic, Um, and I think part of it is because we're talking past each other. 
I don't know that we're having solid conversations with each other about power, about authority, about abuse. Um, and I want you to hear Pastor Chris saying, uh, power in and of itself is not the problem. It's just not. Authority in and of itself is not the problem. It's when someone abuses that power. Um, and so, you know, as you're interacting with others, as you're thinking through how you respond to power, how you respond to authority, I would encourage a couple of things. One, just don't blindly follow or blindly call people to follow or call people to blindly follow, I should say. Authority in of itself is not infallible. Or two, that you deny every aspect of authority, that we run from every aspect of authority. Uh, that too is not uh, God's design. Well, I appreciate you guys. I hope that was helpful. Uh, Constitute or delegated authority as we continue to think through ways in which uh, we can respond to the horrors of domestic abuse. I'm so thankful for each one of you who take time to listen to the PeaceWorks podcast. And if you would do me a favor, if you're listening on one of the major platforms, would you rate, review, uh, subscribe, follow, whatever the platform uh, asks of you to let them know that you value the PeaceWorks podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, God bless.